This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome back to the On The Banks Podcast. This is episode 94. I am your managing editor of On The Banks, Aaron Brightman. Thanks so much for joining us. Busy week here in the second week of April. Obviously, winter sports have concluded at this point. You know, I, I now that we're full swing in the spring sports, it's been a, a wild few months with winter, spring, and then fall that was postponed, all taking place at the same time. So we have the fall sports starting to wrap up with postseason play beginning. Women's soccer finished in third place in the Big Ten, third consecutive top three finish. They opened the Big Ten tournament against Michigan State on Thursday with the NCAA tournament is set to take place later in April. So um, another postseason uh, run attempt for them. Obviously strong on defense once again. It's really going to be the question of the offense. Can uh, two-time All-American Amir Ali lead this offense and and really elevate Rutgers to, to be able to make a big postseason run? Men's soccer finished fifth in the Big Ten after being picked uh, to finish in seventh out of nine teams. So uh, they had a little bit of a pause, but um Finish strong and look to make some noise. They play Maryland in the first round on Saturday in the Big Ten. Very good second season for head coach Jim McKeldry. Field hockey is uh, ranked number 10 in the country. They just swept Penn State, which is always a good thing, regardless of the sport, this past weekend. And then talking about the winter sports that finish, men's and women's hoops, you know, listen, both made an NCAA tournament the first time in 30 years. Obviously, women's have made it uh, almost annually. Both teams finish in the top half of the Big Ten. You had wrestling. First time ever, three three All-Americans at the National Championships. Volleyball, which we'll get into in a little bit. You know, historic season for that program. Now is spring. You know, both lacrosse programs are ranked nationally. Men's is number seven in the country, five and two after a win over Ohio State this past weekend. They've swept the Buckeyes for the season. Women's lacrosse is number 23. You have rowing, which has made tremendous strides in the last couple of years under Justin Price. Baseball is off to his best start in Big Ten play ever since joining the league. You know, you even have programs like women's tennis has won two of their last three. Women's golf finished second out of nine teams at Pinehurst last weekend. Men's golf finished fourth out of 15 teams at their tournament. So, so many good things happening on the banks here with so many different Rutgers teams. I can tell you since I've taken over the site, this has been the most challenging to keep up with all the progress and positive news that's happening. But I wanted to take this episode to really put the spotlight on Rutgers volleyball. First year head coach Caitlin Schweighoffer has really worked wonders in her first season. The program was three and 117 the first six seasons in the Big Ten. They just finished her inaugural campaign with a four-game winning streak, sweeping Maryland and Michigan State. First time ever Rutgers has finished outside of last place in the Big Ten, which, by the way, has six of the top 11 teams in the country ranked right now. So it's a powerhouse conference. Rutgers moved all the way up to ninth place in her first season. Six wins, double of what the program had the previous six years. So really remarkable stuff and was really excited to have her on to discuss the progress she's made, her outlook on the roster and the future of the program and how she plans to continue building Rutgers volleyball. And with that, I want to take the opportunity to welcome in head coach Caitlin Schweighoffer. Time to talk to the coaches. Here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Fresh off a four-game winning streak to end her inaugural season on the banks, it is my pleasure now to welcome in Rutgers Volleyball head coach, Caitlin Schweighoffer. Coach, thanks so much for being here, and congratulations on a great end to the season. 
Well, thank you very much. And, and thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. I'm sure it's been a, 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 quite a, a year coming in during the global pandemic. Really just wanted to start with how challenging has it been to establish a foundation of a new culture during this challenging time in the world? And how do you think you were so successful at building that in your first season? Yeah, I was thinking back to last August, well, maybe July, end of July, and all the anxiety that I had leading into what we thought was going to be a fall season. And at the time, having all of my international players still overseas and trying to think about how I would put a roster together to play in a few weeks without most of my starters. And um, fortunately for us, the season was postponed and it was probably the biggest blessing in disguise at the time, although that was a big change to move the volleyball season from the traditional fall season into the spring, allowed me the opportunity to get all my players back in the country and go through the quarantine process and the testing and all those things that we had to do in order to play. And then to be able to start to slowly adapt to my structure and systems and what my expectations were from a cultural standpoint and allowed it to evolve very organically. And I truly think that our success in the spring was a testament to the ability to practice together as a unit in the fall. And if we had had to play right away with adding all the new pieces, we had seven new faces with only two or three weeks of practice together, it might not have been the same result. Now we would have had, hopefully have had some non-conference games in a traditional season, which would have allowed you to prepare for Big Ten. But having to have done this right into a Big Ten season, it would have taken us longer, I think, to establish the rhythm that we established. So grateful in a way, but we tested every day. For 90 days straight. And I think we were one of the only Big Ten teams to have a seven-day testing protocol. A lot of them were on a six-day testing protocol, so we still tested seven days. Well, fortunately, we had no positive tests, which is amazing. So our team really bought into the commitment this year. The only cancellation we had was due to another university having some some issues. But, uh, you know, we had to look each other in the face every single day, whether we won or lost or had a good match or what we thought was a bad match at the time or a good practice or a bad practice or if there were some team issues going on or whatever it was. We had to look at each other every morning in the face. And I think it really just created this camaraderie and this ability to have honest feedback with one another. But in an in a anxious environment, obviously sitting waiting for test results is not fun, but it allowed us to just sit and chat with the players every morning in a non-practice environment. So interesting dynamic that will probably never be recreated again, hopefully, but led to good results for us. Obviously, the fall was postponed uh, and moved to the spring. While you had the additional practice time, there was no non-conference schedule. So you jumped right into Big Ten play. How challenging was that and, and how much of an adjustment did it take you know, for, for your team to, to jump right into the best conference in the country? Pretty eye-opening for me and my staff. Obviously, we hadn't coached in the Big Ten before. We had seen Big Ten matches. And for the new players who, even though they were transferring from other, some of them from other Power Five conferences, or they were incoming freshmen, just being in a Big Ten game environment is very different than what a lot of them had experienced before. So our result at Northwestern was not great. And I think that if we were able to have that match again later on the season, it might've been different, but we needed to kind of be put into the fire quickly and um, to say, Hey, this is the big 10. This is what you're going to see every weekend from here on out. This is no joke. Like we have to take this more seriously. We have to be prepared for practice every single day. We have to come into every match. And, and after that match, we were able to have a lot of conversations as a team about some of 
the issues that might have carried over from previous seasons on game day anxiety and how to handle competition and the joy of competition. So I really wanted to stress to them that competition should be fun. It shouldn't be worrisome. And I'm not sure that was how the team took to competition because of previous year results, previous year's results. So even though we lost at Northwestern, I took that as a win for us, just opened the door for a lot of conversations and was able to allow our athletes, especially our returning athletes, the opportunity to converse with me, but now get past some of the things that they had experienced before and just move on from it. So after that Northwestern match, we really just started moving forward. We had to go into Wisconsin, who was the number one team in the nation next. And from there, it was kind of just, I didn't put these heavy expectations on them of how many games we're supposed to win, how many we're supposed to lose, how many we're supposed to, what our stats were going to be. I just gave them the freedom to play their best every single match and see what the results were. So you've been through a rebuild at LaSalle. What did you learn from that experience and what have you taken with you and applied to this situation? And and also, what have you had to adjust or, or learn based on, you know, being in the Big Ten and, you know, doing it all during a, a global pandemic? I'm a big believer that the change process is fairly specific in its steps. And there's many, many books written by various people that are much smarter than me on organizational change. And they wouldn't be written if they didn't weren't true, in my opinion. However, this time around, I'm much more confident that those steps in that process actually work. Unlike at LaSalle, I was kind of just fingers crossed they did. I was also younger and I was not married to my husband who has really working with him and and having him on my staff has given me even more confidence that the process works because he grounds me in a lot of ways and we work together really well. But the LaSalle team was, I think, a different situation because we had players who really wanted to be successful, but might not have necessarily had the skill set to be successful. And like I said before, we had to play right away after adding a few new like freshmen who had key roles after only two weeks of practice, right? Whereas here, the players that we had, and you've seen the success just statistically of some of the returners this year, they are skilled players. They just needed to refine the love of the sport and refine what they were really truly competing for. So I think we were a little further along to start with just on, on our skill set. But the Big Ten is a beast and you know you have to compete at the highest level of your skill set. And we trained every single day of practice to get them there. We didn't just roll out the balls and say, hey, this is how we can win strategically. We really had to continue to improve technique and develop the athletes over the season. So not that we didn't do that at LaSalle, but I'm just a lot more confident in what my approach is because I was a first year head coach at LaSalle and coming into this, I was you know a little bit farther along in my career, not much, but a little farther along in my career. I had, had more confidence that what I'm training actually can be replicated into a game situation and be successful. So um, I would say that's the biggest difference. Going back to something you said uh, previously about uh, kind of changing the mentality of the players. There were steps along the way. You, you won a set against number four Nebraska. You took uh, Ohio State to five sets. What were those types of steps? Uh, how did they help towards the strong finish of the season? How did that help kind of keep the team focused on that they were making improvement, even though the wins weren't necessarily there in the middle of the season? Yeah, I'm a big believer in uh, creating small goals that eventually turn into bigger ones. And um, I'm not sure if you had heard, but we created this document called the last time Rutgers volleyball dot, dot, dot. And it said things like had an all conference player, had a, you know, took a set from Nebraska, beat Michigan State, beat Indiana, beat Penn State. And some of those dates were never Right, like never took a set from Nebraska. And we were very honest about that. But we didn't say, hey, go beat Nebraska. We decided, okay, 
the first step is to take a set from some of these teams, right? And every week we were able to literally in practice, highlight it and write the date next to it. And that document will evolve over the next few years and the the goals will get tougher to achieve. I thought some of these goals were really tough to achieve and we already met them, which is amazing, but they'll just get a little bit more pie in the sky, I guess you could say, for lack of a better word. So we created these small goals. I've said this the entire season. We really focused on not playing the name on the jersey. And that, I think, was something that was a was a true mental flip. They had they went into certain matches before that was like, okay, we're playing this team and this is probably our only chance to get a win in the Big Ten. And, you know, so we got it. We have to beat them or we're not going to get any wins. And we really try to just flip that mentality into it doesn't matter who we play. You guys, they, they put on their spandex the same way we do. And we just went out and had fun. And, and sometimes it, it worked out in our favor. And sometimes we got overpowered. And that's okay because we gave us a much better idea of where we actually stood. But we just played with a lot of freedom, I think. And we tried to eliminate the pressure of having to get certain wins or knowing for sure we were going to get certain losses. And it equated to some, some results that were unprecedented for our program. So talking about some of those firsts that you wanted to accomplish this season, fresh news from Thursday, junior Ina Balika was named first team all Big Ten, first time in program history. Uh, How important is that to show that the growth and development of this program and how important was her to your success this season? When I first arrived, Ina was actually in the transfer portal. <laughs> and everyone said when I took this position, they're like, you have to keep your setter. Your setter is really good. And I re-recruited her to stay here at Rutgers. And I explained to her how we would train her, how we would develop her, what her potential was, that she was recognized by her peers and by the other coaches in this league of, of her abilities. And she was a significant part of the team for the last several years. So having a junior setter who's used to running a 5-1 you asked me before about the difference between LaSalle, you know, we didn't necessarily have that. We had to start with a a younger setter at the time. So having an experienced setter, but we held her hand a little bit more. We explained to her the strategy of the game rather than just saying, Hey, just go do it on yourself. We gave her, there obviously is a language barrier for her. So she speaks English. Great. But you know, there's still sometimes where it's fast and decision-making and you're translating in your head. And so we gave her, we held her hand a little bit more, but I'm so happy for her. She's a huge reason why we were successful this season. She's a fantastic setter. And I think she has a bright future ahead if she does end up eventually want to go play professionally overseas. So, you know, we're, she's only a junior and this year didn't really count. So we're looking to have her here in the, it counted on our record, but I mean, it didn't count for their, uh, for their eligibility. So we're looking to have her be a staple for our program for the next several years. So. So diving more into the roster, you have an interesting mix of, uh, you know, Four seniors, you had five freshmen, a couple juniors in between, no sophomores at all. Obviously, you had, uh, about half were international players, half were American. How, how was the challenge of that, and how did they come together, and who really stood out to you in terms of making improvement from when you got here to the end of? Well, I played at St. John's, and I had a fairly international roster when I played. Um, it was pretty much set up exactly like our roster is here. We had about half American, half international. I was obviously an American playing in position and I had an international setter. She was from Poland and the other middle was from China. And, you know, so it was a really cool dynamic, but I never coached an international team. So I had some experience as a player of how to create the cultural, I guess, exchange that you could say. But we really embraced the differences amongst one another, but also celebrated the likenesses. And if you could see, we had a secondary jersey that we decided to put everyone's flag on 
but we all had Rutgers on the front, you know, so we talk about what makes us unique. And, and I learned so much as a coach about different holidays and how people celebrate things and, and what's important to them from a relationship standpoint. And it was just a very eye-opening experience for me as a coach. But um, at the end of the season, I didn't feel like I was coaching an American team or an international team or anything. Like it just, it felt like just the Rutgers team. And I, and everyone says, Oh, you have this international roster. Like there was no, it didn't hold us back in any way, shape or form. Now we are returning our entire starting lineup, which is fantastic. So Camilla's coming back for her fifth season as well as Becca. And um, that's great news for us. We haven't made announcements about our incoming class, but we have a six foot five outside hitter coming in. We are actually bringing a player in from LaSalle, who played for me before, who's going to come for grad school. She was a first team all A-10 player. So she'll play a fairly defensive role for us. And uh, so we're adding a few. We're, we're trying to recruit another middle blocker. We only had two on the team. So Shay and Tina did a fantastic job this year, but it's really hard to only have two middle blockers in practice. And if one goes down, it changes your entire your entire structure of your, of your team. So looking for a third middle blocker and been recruiting in the transfer portal for that. And then we're adding, you know, a few more players to kind of round out the roster. We only had 12 players on the team. So we're really looking to get to 16, 17 next year and just make our practice gym a little more robust. So excited about the future, excited about next fall. Coach, talking about uh, some of the younger players on your roster, I wanted to ask about the development of two freshmen that played key roles this past season. Uh, First, Madison Chitty and Tina Grokovic. Tina played in Italy and um, middles overseas aren't necessarily super offensive. They're more focused on blocking. So when she came here, I said, you're going to be an active part of our offense. She was like, I am. So we spent a lot of time working on her offensive and she really actually has such a great mindset and she wants to learn all the time. And she asks a lot of questions and she's is a super coachable. And I think that the ceiling for her is really high. You know, and she's been in the weight room actively, and I think she's only going to see a lot of improvement over the next year and will end up being one of the best middles in the league just because of her intelligence. She might not out-physical some of the middles in our league that are touching, you know, 11 feet, but I think that she's just a really smart volleyball player. And I actually look at her much very similar to myself. I think we have a very similar style, very similar body type, very similar athleticism. So it's easy for me to train her because I like honestly think of myself in the process. But And then Madison Chitty, or just Chitty, was the only freshman Libero in the league. So to step into that role as a freshman, it took her a little while to adjust, I think, to the speed of the game and the the strength of the attack. But her passing numbers were some of the highest out of all the Libros in the league. And um, now that she has played in a Big Ten season, I think she knows where where her strengths and her weaknesses lie. And she's going to spend a lot of time in the offseason focusing on her footwork and her change of direction, some things that will only make her better. But we've really pushed her at the end of the season to be a, a leader, even though she was a freshman. And I think getting that experience this year for her, she's going to be a wonderful captain of this team one day. Obviously, with a different calendar schedule this past year with the season just ending now at the end of March, a shorter offseason than typical, how will that affect your approach and plan with next season expected to begin late August, early September, rather having you know a nine-month span in between to, to about half of what you typically have? 
if we were in class, we would stay through the whole semester. We might have to take finals here on campus. And so I released everyone, said, hey, you can go home basically a month early. So even if we were in November to December and just kind of move that to you know April to May. So the majority of our team is already home. Some are leaving today, some tomorrow. I keep reminding them that it's not summer. They're still, they're still in class. <laughs> but, you know, we I told them to take a break. And then our strength coach, Becky, is, is super invested in this process with me. We've had multiple conversations. So she has worked really closely with each individual athlete tailoring what their needs are in the off season, as well as our, our sports medicine trainer about recovery. So we're really focusing on the recovery piece over the next month. And then we'll ramp it back up as we get into June and July. But our entire team will return for summer school in July. And they'll have about a month to get adjusted to each other and um, you know, do open gyms. And we're not allowed as coaching staff to train our team over the summer due to NCAA regulations. So they'll be able to work with our strength coach during that time and uh, have some open gyms and stuff like that. But we hope, we hope that we are in good enough physical shape that we don't have to have as challenging of a preseason as we would normally have if you were off for nine months or 10 months. So I'm hoping I don't have to run them a ton or have to, you know, really focus on their fitness, but we can just get right back into volleyball skill work and and team development. And then fingers crossed that we have a non-conference schedule that allows us the opportunity to get and try out some different lineups. Even though we're returning our whole starting lineup, we are having adding new players. So seeing what works best for this year's team. Definitely different, but a recovery is a big piece of it for the next month or so for us. So I'm kind of just giving them a break, go home, see their family. Some of them haven't seen their family since last August. Didn't go home for the holiday break. So I'm sure they're excited to do that. Last question, Coach. Just wanted to talk about in terms of how important it was to end the season on that four-game winning streak, what it does for momentum for your program, and and also in terms of changing perception, not only with with your own players and and getting their further buy-in as you move forward, but also with fans and sending a message across the Big Ten as well. I mean, wins are wins. (laughs) Wins in the Big Ten are are tough to get, and wins with a program that has only seen – very few over the last several years, probably the toughest. So changing the perception and changing the brand of Rutgers volleyball was very important to me over this past year. We've spent a lot of time on the phone with recruiting coordinators and high school coaches and players and just really talking about the vision for Rutgers volleyball, especially here in the States, because that's probably where the brand was the weakest. And the momentum that we have ending on a winning streak and showing the progress that we made already has generated a lot of interest and has definitely allowed us to get on, you know, at least be in the mix with an even higher level of recruit than maybe we originally expected to recruit in the first couple of years. But, you know, now I said before there was a microscope on the program. I think now the microscope's even maybe the lens is a little bit wider, but um, we still have a lot to prove. And my goal for the fall is to show that this wasn't just a fluke. It wasn't because teams were without starters or without, you know, certain players or they were, you know, beat up because of COVID, you know, shutdowns or whatever that might be, but that we've created some sustainable change. And that's what's going to be the pressure for the fall is to show that, you know, we might not get more than six wins or we might get only five or four. I'm not worried about the number in the fall, but I want to show that the quality of volleyball is continuing to improve. And if that turns into more wins, great. If it doesn't, that's okay. Because changing a program really does take more than one year. 
and there's a lot of spark in the first year, but now how do we carry it over into the next few? So excited about the future and um, I can't wait to get fans back in the gym and get to play. I think that that's going to be another eye-opening experience, especially for our freshmen to walk into some of these gyms and hopefully ours and have a, a good number of fans. And we're working on, you know, playing a few games in the rack next year, which will be really cool for, for our volleyball program and, um, you know, get some more recognition on BTN and not just not just streaming our games, but actually on live television. And, you know, so the future is bright for sure. Rutgers volleyball coach Caitlin Schweighoffer, thank you so much for your time today. Congratulations on a tremendous first season on the Banks. Best of luck in the future and look forward to charting your team's progress and, and connecting in the future. Thanks again so much for your time. Thanks again to Rutgers Volleyball head coach Caitlin Schweighoffer for joining us. Really insightful stuff in terms of what she has done to really make major progress and lay down her foundation, obviously during a very challenging time during the pandemic, and really produce great results in her first year based on the context and history of this program. Really excited to where she takes, see where she takes Rutgers Volleyball in the future. Like I said in the introduction, you know, so many uh, positive stories right now with Rutgers Athletics and looking forward to seeing the fall teams and spring teams finish the season strong. Stay tuned and stay posted to onthebanks.com. You can follow us at uh, OTB underscore SB Nation as we cover all of the Rutgers teams down the stretch of this 2020-2021 season, which is obviously as unique as and probably something we'll never see again based on the schedules and, and everything, all the challenges that these programs have gone through. So thanks again for listening. Thank you for reading and look forward to talking next time. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.